right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We got him. We got him. Isn't that, was that, was that George Bush when they got, no, that was Obama when they got. No, it was George Bush. We got him? Yeah. I thought that was Obama when they got Saddam Hussein. I mean, he might have repeated it. Multiple people have gotten other people. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Yeah. We got him, man. This time, not a terrorist. No. Very, very big difference. We should probably clarify that. Yeah, football coach. Yeah. College football coach Lance Leipold, formerly of Buffalo, is the new Kansas football coach. There have been a lot of smoke about Jeff Munkin over the past couple of days. And maybe that's because they, they they wanted Munkin and something fell through. There could have been contract negotiations that, that didn't happen. Or maybe it, they were just smoke screens. Maybe that was coming from Jeff Munkin's camp trying to intensify the talk when in reality, Travis Goff and this search committee were more focused on Lance Leipold. None of that really matters. All that matters is they got a guy who has been being touted by you know some college Football names. I know Bruce Feldman put out a list, put him in his top 20. Top 20 football coaches in college football because of the job that he has done at Buffalo. A job that had nothing going for itself when he got there in 2014. And what he has done over the last three years specifically is what has gotten him this job. You can talk about the turnaround. You can talk about everything that went into it. But ultimately, it's what he's done the last three years going to three bowl games that is the sustained level of success that I believe ultimately put him over the top. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at the highlight season as well. You know, like everybody wants to point to, oh, Turner Gill, he was at Buffalo too. Well, Turner Gill's best season, they lost six games, Nick. This guy wanted, had a 10-win season with Buffalo. The next closest that Buffalo has had in school history, that goes back to the 1960s, was eight wins. He took them to 10. Uh, they've been to five bowl games as an entire I want to say franchise, but uh, school. Um, he's been to three of those five for the school. And he had another year where he probably could have gone to a bowl game. I mean, they were bowl eligible, and they just didn't make it. Yeah, 2017, they went 6-6. Six and six. And I think the thing that rings most true is this. It's what John Kirby said on our show a couple weeks ago. They had the number one passing offense with Tyree Jackson, their quarterback, in 2018 in the MAC. He goes pro early. Kind of an odd decision. He was a junior. He ended up getting undrafted. Kind of a weird one for him to go pro. And all of a sudden, you're left kind of out to dry. You're like, what the heck? Like, we had been planning this whole time for a senior season. Now he's just randomly gone. They adjust, and they become the number one rushing offense in the MAC. And they were also the number one rushing offense in the nation this year. So he adjusts to the personnel. And, you know, with all the conversations we had about Jeff Munkin with, well, how is this going to affect the players? How is this going to affect the receivers? Is this going to cause players to transfer because they don't like the scheme? I don't think you have to worry about that with Lance Leipold because he is going to adjust the scheme based on what you have on the roster. 
Yeah, I mean, you go from, I mean, this kid, uh, Jarrett Patterson. He's probably going to get drafted. Is he? Is he on the? Probably tomorrow, but yeah. This is a kid who they got from uh, the, the D.C. area. They were going to areas that you don't go to get recruits. Like, they were going to Maryland. They were going to D.C. They were going to Pennsylvania. These spots that are probably not hotbeds for recruiting. And all he did, and you can look back on 2020. They were really good in 2020, but they only played seven games. So the statistics don't really do it service as to how good they would have been. I think they still, did they finish in the top 25 this past year? No, they didn't finish there um, because they had the late loss. But they were in, they they were were in, in there the for 25. like three weeks, yeah. I would say, yeah. The year before that, though, when they played a full 13 games, you're talking about one of the best rushing offenses in the country, led by this kid, Jared Patterson, 5'9", 195 pounds, kind of came out of nowhere. 13 rushes. No, excuse me. 312 rushes, 1,800 yards, 19 touchdowns. This past year, in only six games, 141 carries, Hit the 1,000-yard mark. Took him six games, still got 1,000 yards, 1,072 yards, and matched his touchdown total from the season before. He got 19 touchdowns in six games. I don't know if it's because Jared Patterson is just an unbelievable running back. Who wait, was wait, a diamond wait, in the 2019, rough. they also had their backup ran for over 1,000. Yeah. So there you go. Pliability. Right, to steal a Tom Brady term. He always says pliability. It's, it's not about being strong. It's not about being having a six-pack. It's about pliability, the TB12 method. This is Lance Leipold's version of the TB12 method. You mold the system and the team based off of the personnel that you have. It, you almost never see that in football. You almost never, ever, ever see that in football. I would say the best example of it that you have currently going in football, anywhere in football, is Andy Reid. Yeah. I think Bill Belichick. You know, you go from a pass-first offense, maybe you say that's Josh McDaniels, whatever, to basically run quarterback power with Cam Newton. Right. You adjust based off who you have. John Harbaugh. Yeah. Best coaches adjust. And it's tough for coaches to do that because coaches have egos. And you can go back to, like, the guy who has the most wins in NFL history is Don Shula. He went from being a run-first offense where they played two fullbacks to having Dan Marino where you're running air raid. Mm-hmm. You have to adjust. Now you can read this piece, which if you want to know more about Lance Leipold, I would highly suggest doing. This piece is from the Buffalo News, and it's written by Rachel Lindsay. And Rachel Lindsay is actually going to join the show uh, next week. She's going to be on with us Monday because the, this piece that she wrote was ahead of uh, their conference championship game, I believe, in 2018. And 2018 was the year that they won 10 games. They would go on to, uh, they would lose the Dollar General Bowl, but they won bowls the back-to-back years, the Bahamas Bowl and the uh, Camellia Bowl. Is that my, Am I saying that right? But this piece is uh, a very deep dive into the turnaround that Leipold was able to make happen. And he talked about how, after having all of this success, you know, you win six national championships at Wisconsin Whitewater. I believe it was 109 and six. 109 and six is the record that he had. And when he took the job to go coach at Buffalo, 
and went and had to tell the players in the locker room. They all, it was erupted in applause and cheering and congratulations because they were so happy for this coach. That doesn't happen very often. They may be happy, there may be guys who are happy for a coach, but a lot of times when things like that happen, it's, well, I thought I was coming here to play for you. You said you were going to be here the whole time and now you're going to leave us. But things are probably a little bit different when you win six national championships. There's a level of respect for the man who's in charge of your program and who's gotten you to that point. And you know, if you're playing for this guy and winning titles every year, you're knowing he ain't here. He's got to take a job somewhere. And he did. He took the Buffalo job. Another job that was not in any shape or form going to be something where he was expected to step in right away and win. And he didn't. I think it was 5-7 and seven the first season. But the next year was when things went really bad. You lose some players. There was a death on the team. A guy uh, suffered, a, I believe it was, um, was it a heart attack? Like on? I can't remember. But also you were, I mean, guys, you were losing. Like the year before, because I've seen this, or I think it was two years before he took over. Somebody was like, yeah, but he didn't take over from a tough situation. Two years before they were 8-5, and five, next year 5-7, and seven, then he takes over. Uh, the year they were 8-5, and five, two years before he took over, you know who's on that team? Khalil Mack. Yeah. And they also had Brandon Oliver, who was like, he had a cup of coffee with the Chargers, had like 1,500 rushing yards. Of course that team went 8-5. and five. He, didn't re- he didn't receive him when he took over. Right. And this is a guy, even before he was at uh, Whitewater, he was an assistant for, I don't even know they had a football program, but Nebraska-Omaha. You know what they did there in his first three seasons? 1-10 and 10 in year one, 3-8 and eight in year two, 10-2 and two in year three. This is a guy who is very, very well aware of what it takes to turn around programs. And you can say, well, hey, turning around Kansas is different than Omaha, Nebraska, or Buffalo. It absolutely is. But the principles, the principles of what it takes to accomplish a turnaround are not that dissimilar from one another. They're really not. Because that's where you start. You start with the what will work. Before I get to what am I going to have to change, what is going to remain the same? And I think that's where you start with what Lance Leipold has already had to say. And we only have a, a brief quote here. His press conference is probably going to be on Monday, so we'll hear more from him then. But he said, quote, we are going to build this program through developing players, discipline, and determination. The philosophies ingrained in our programs along the way will be key as we turn this around. This is a program that has a lot of young talent on the roster and has the infrastructure in place to proceed. Go back to that first line, though. We're going to build this program through developing players, discipline, and determination. Every single coach that KU has hired in the past 12 years has put not just an emphasis, but in a lot of cases, the biggest emphasis when they showed up on recruiting. Now, everybody remembers Turner Gill's first line. We're going to recruit. Uh, We're going to beat Missouri. We're going to recruit. We're going to do something else, and we're going to recruit. Charlie Weiss, with him, what'd he bring? Dane Christ, former number one recruit in the country. Jay Keeps, former number one recruit in the country. Justin McKay, five-star wide receiver committed to Oklahoma. Right? Look at these guys. Look at these guys I'm bringing. David Beatty gets hired for as the Texas A&M wide receivers coach purely because he had a good track record of recruiting talent to Texas A&M. He was in on the Kenny Hill recruitment. He was in on the Johnny Manziel recruitment. He was in on the Mike Evans recruitment. And who knows 
how much it was him or he would just happen to be the guy in the spot. But whatever, that was a part of the pitch. That was a part of his resume that got him hired at Kansas. And we all know, we all know why Les Miles got hired at Kansas. Because he could walk in, throw those rings on the table and say, look at those. He could point to the NFL and say, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. Yeah, I coached those guys. I sent him to the NFL. I'm going I'm to do the same thing with your son. I'm going to do the same thing with you. Every single one of them made recruiting a huge priority. And here's the deal. Recruiting is a priority. But to say that recruiting is a priority is to say like that paying your taxes is a priority. You have to do it. And you should do it well. But to act as if that is the only means to, to figure out a turnaround, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous and it doesn't work because we have examples A, B, C, and D as to why that's not enough. Because you know what none of those coaches did? They didn't develop talent worth a bleep at all. You can count the guys on two hands who came in as freshmen and you say, I can't believe they left that guy. I can't believe. I remember what I saw from day one. And this coaching staff turned him into boom. Who? We are going to build this program through developing players, discipline, and determination. You know what that is? Player development, instilling discipline, determination. That's a culture thing. You know what that is? That's something that you can do anywhere. That's something that you could do at Wisconsin Whitewater. That's something you can do at Buffalo. And it's something that you could do at Kansas. It's something that you can do at Alabama or LSU or Clemson. You can do it anywhere. All of these coaches have tried to sell you on what they can do that nobody else can. And that's why you start to talk about, well, we're going to go out and recruit. We're going to get the best players we possibly can. No, but you're not though, but you're not. It's Kansas. And if you sprinkle in a four-star here and a three-star there, we're going to get really excited and the message boards are going to go crazy and Twitter's going to go crazy. But if you're not developing any of this talent, it doesn't matter. Because, you know what, they say this every night around draft night. They'll say, they'll look back. I can guarantee you can go find a piece right now of some guy who did the whole first round and he pointed out uh, what their recruiting rankings were coming out of high school. And he's going to say, yep, see, listen, this is why recruiting rankings matter. Well, of course they do. Of course recruiting rankings matter. But that's not the same kid who showed up in college four years ago. They had to be developed from that really, really solid jump-off point into an NFL talent. Recruiting rankings matter, but you're not building a program with them. It's just a really good building block to work with. So, of course, go out and get the best players that you possibly can. But more importantly, develop them once they get here. Do something with them. Because that product, that raw four-star recruit needs to, to learn how to work. He needs to learn how to get better and how to compete. And I think that has been sorely lacking in this football program for the past 12 years. And that's why I'm, that's what I'm excited for. I'm excited for the prospect of Lance Leipold coming in and being a coach who's going to teach these kids how to work. Whether they're a four-star kid, three-star kid, two-star kid. You're going to learn how to work. You're going to learn what this culture is about. And you're going to learn to be a winner. Six-year deal, by the way, which is good. I mean, these contracts are always long, but it, it, that's at least a sign from your AD that this is not going to be a slow turnaround. Like, we're giving you yeah, time to work which here. Which is good. Do you almost view it? Because remember, like, we had year one of Les Miles was basically the honeymoon year. 
year two was basically like you're not going to get fired based on what happened until there was off the field stuff, but based on the on the field performance, you're not going to get fired for this. Year three, you probably wouldn't either, but maybe we feel a little hot seat heading into year four. Do you almost feel like because Lance Leipold takes over now, basically after spring practice will have occurred, that he'll not only get this year, but he'll also get next year as those honeymoon years? Because if anything goes wrong this year, it's just like, what did you want him to do? He didn't even get to recruit anybody. He didn't get to do anything with spring practices. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to hear more. Which I think would be yeah, good for him. I, I, you know? I, I want to wait until Monday because at, on Monday we're going to ask, you know, Travis Goff, what are your expectations of him? We're going to ask Lance Leipold, what are your expectations for yourself? What's your sort of game plan here? What's your blueprint to success? Once we get answers on those questions, I think it's a little bit easier to then at that point start to look down the pipeline and say, okay, this is when maybe you want to start seeing success. This is when you want to start seeing the winds tick up a little bit. I mean, yeah, you're probably looking at a one or a two-win season this year with a bunch of guys that Lance Leipold didn't recruit. Go out, get your guys, work on that player development. What can you do in next year? Because I will tell you this, the defense, the talent that emerged defensively, a lot of those young guys defensively, that gives me reason for optimism that that side of the ball may only be a year or two away from being pretty solid. Flip side is I'm real concerned about the offense. You had a D2 offensive line last year, and as of right now, I don't know where the reinforcements are at. So you better just hope that some of these guys are getting better. Well, you, didn't have an, you didn't have an answer at quarterback last year, and once again, I don't see the reinforcements. Unless we are to assume that this uh, the kid from North Texas is going to be the guy, or if that we are to assume that Jalen Daniels is going to take a big leap. I mean, he was 17 years old when he started. So... They could happen. History would tell you it's going to be another rough season for the Kansas offense. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, going off what you're saying with development, that takes time. Yeah. You know, so it won't happen right away this year is my guess. And it might not even happen next year right away. It might take three, four years, you know, to figure that out. But I do think it's good that basically you get him now to where it is almost like you can have the built-in excuse of saying, yeah, but what did you want him to do that first year? And then really that year one is like year two where it's like a honeymoon. And I think that could help a guy like that because this is such a long-term job to try to figure out the rebuild that I think anything that you can get that kind of delays that clock of, uh uh-oh, he's on the hot seat, I think is a huge positive. We'll talk more about this. We got Matt Tate and Brandon McAnderson, former Kansas running back, joining the show coming up later on. We got RCST Trivia in the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to talk some Chiefs draft. They didn't have a draft pick last night, but I guess we could just assume that they used the 31st overall pick to draft a guy who's already made Pro Bowls in the NFL, Orlando they Brown. the draft. Maybe they have. What can they do to further solidify that tonight? Two second-round picks. We'll talk about that with Joshua Briscoe of Sports Radio 810. He'll join us coming up here in about 15 minutes. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash, they are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh man, 
Where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them, unlimited guest service and most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. You see this Aaron Rodgers? Strongly considering retirement, unless the situation with the Packers is repaired to his liking. I mean, if his options are retire or get traded, I don't know, because there's egos involved, too. what we said yesterday. He's got the Jeopardy thing in his back pocket. Yeah, I mean, that's as good of a retirement plan as you could get, save, you know, working in the booth, broadcast booth, $10 million a year, and you may be able to shake a few more He could probably do both. I mean, if he Tony Romo makes seventeen mil in the broadcast booth, if he made fifteen in the broadcast booth, ten to do Jeopardy. Woo! What's that math? I can't. I can't even do it. We're not here to do math, okay? We're here to talk football, and we're gonna do that with Joshua Briscoe, Sports Radio Eight Ten. The show is called Almost Entirely Sports. You can also hear him on the Times Hours podcast for the Athletic, and you can hear him right now through the phone, through your speakers. Joshua, how's it going? How you doing, sir? It's pretty good. I know we're not going to talk about this anymore in this segment, but do you guys want to hear my one Lance Leipold joke? Absolutely. So they said, you know, I've always called them Lance Leopold, but it's pronounced Leipold. And it's funny because it was also pronounced Lies Miles, but we didn't figure that out until it was too late. <laughs> guys, you still there? <laughs> hey, Nick. Hey, Nick. Did I lose? Hey, Nick, did I lose you? Hey, Nick, you guys there? Hello? Yep, we're here. We got you. Got All right, you. I just want to make sure. I could, I could, did you, like, hit the cough button because you were laughing so hard, or? No. Why? No. Nope, just, uh, I didn't know if there was anything else to add to the end of that. And you know what? And what, is, what is the deal with airplane food? Does anyone ever ask that question? Yeah, yeah, okay, here we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't even serve food on airplanes anymore. This isn't the 90s, okay? Freshen up your material, I've never, Bob. I've never eaten actual food on an airplane. I haven't either. There's been like like peanuts in the pretzels and those little guys. Cheese nips, underrated pretzel snack or plain snack. Better than pretzels. I like the Ritz crackers, the cheese Ritz crackers. Yeah. Those are yeah. Those are those are extra for sure. Those are really solid. But you're you're right. I've never even been on a plane that offered a meal. I think you have to go like across the. It's got to be like a New York to L.A. thing or a a cross Atlantic type flight. Derek, have you ever had a meal on a plane? Uh, yeah, I've, I've had a meal oh, on a plane okay. to like Hawaii. Fancy boy. Um, usually when I'm in first class and they're waiting on me, oh, right. champagne and everything, you know. <laughs> yeah, Give yeah. Foot massages, all that. Uh, I forgot. I forgot. You're bougie. Is the bougiest local radio host I've ever met in my life. Hey, uh, Josh, the Chiefs didn't make a draft pick last night, which is explosive news, I know. But yeah, that's crazy. They did trade that pick, that 31st overall pick, to the Ravens for Orlando Brown. So do we just get to operate as if the Chiefs selected 
uh, Pro Bowl left tackle Orlando Brown, 31st overall? Uh, to some extent, yeah, but, but not really because one of the reasons that draft picks are so valuable is because of the rookie contract that it gets to operate under, and obviously Orlando Brown is not going to be under his much longer. So I, I, I say no, but that's, that's a bit of a, a nitpicker there of, of saying, you know what, that's not technically true, but if you want to operate as if it's true, it, it, I think that's all right. It obviously filled the hole the Chiefs had that they would have gone with at 31. And I, I think the, the smart money at this point is that he'll be worth that contract whenever it does come due. Will he be worth it is, is one question, but what will that do to the Chiefs' cap situation? And I know at this point you kind of have to roll your eyes and say <laughs> uh, Brett Veach will find a way to massage the cap, so to speak, but I mean, Orlando Brown getting a massive deal, I believe that would make it, isn't that eight guys? Eight guys who would all be on these huge deals. I mean, he, uh, obviously Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill, Jones, Clark, who am I missing? There's one more. But uh, Anthony Hitchens still has a pretty high number. Matt, I, don't, I don't know if you said Matthew there. He'll get an extension soon, I imagine. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys that they could be moving one way or another. So what's that going to look like? I mean, what's this timetable here where you get to use this crop of players if he does get that extension? What's the timetable where you have this sort of infrastructure in place before things start getting really tricky? That's a really good question. Um, so I don't have over the cap in front of me, but there was a story that uh, Connor Christofferson wrote over on Arrowhead Report a while back that has continued to be suggested reading for me because it shows that the Chiefs essentially can hit the snooze button on Mahomes' contract for about six more seasons. I think I might be counting this one, which sounds crazy, but it, it's really around that six-year mark before uh, moving his signing bonuses back eventually comes back to bite them. So, I mean, and they're also going to have to make a, a real decision about Frank Clark very soon. If they had a ton of space, maybe they wouldn't be in, in such a hurry to move on from him if he doesn't perform better this year. So you're going to see little consequences, but I don't think you're ever going to see a real apocalypse for these guys currently on the roster, because by the time you could get to really comical numbers for Mahomes, there might be another TV deal, and most of the guys currently with big contracts won't even be on the team at that point. Okay, let's look more about the the here and now then, because it was exciting news where in a span of a day or two, you went from having a serious concern at your tackle spots to all of a sudden feeling like you've got a ton of security with Orlando Brown. Specifically, Orlando Brown, what does he bring to the table? How much security does he provide for Patrick Mahomes? It should be a lot. I mean, he's made the Pro Bowl these last two years, playing predominantly on the right side two years ago, and entirely on the right side two years ago, and then predominantly on the left side last year because of injury. So it should be a lot. And there's a little bit of a gamble because he's, he's going to be 25 in a couple of days, I think. That's how deep into this story I am is that I've got Orlando Brown's birthday on my calendar now. But he's got to turn 25, which makes him like two years older than Tevin Jenkins, who they would have taken at 31 last night if they would have been on the clock there and didn't have Orlando Brown, I believe. Um, so he's still young, which both provides a higher ceiling still to come and also is part of the risk involved, right? We're not 100% sure what he's going to ultimately be, but if he's just the guy he was these last couple of years, it does bring you all that security on the left side. He'll play next to Joe Tooney, which should be a blast. You'll, you will have a lot of money over there, as we talked about, with Tooney being another you know, huge contract. But uh, ultimately, I think the left side of the line should be pretty much a stone wall with the right side of the line being pretty quality. So 
it's absolutely going to be the best total offensive line that Patrick Mahomes has played behind, and that's a very exciting proposition for obvious reasons. So do you think the risk, the decision that they ultimately made was the risk of Brown not being on a long-term deal, of having to give him that long-term contract, that outweighs the risk of that tackle, and you mentioned Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State, of him just not being good enough, right? Because that's a risk as well. And yeah. Did they basically just decide we'll take the financial risk over the talent risk? Yep, I think that's about as good a way of phrasing it as you can get. I, I think that's, yeah, almost exactly. Um, the only, I guess, addition there is that I would say that every move always has risk, right? Like, Frank Clark was seen as sort of a sure thing and had a really great playoff run that I'm always contractually obligated to mention before I tell you that Frank Clark is underperformed on that deal. But, yeah, I mean, like, the veteran isn't always a completely sure thing, not a completely known quantity, but you know much more about that guy's game if he's got two, three, four, five, six years of NFL experience as opposed to Tevin Jenkins, who's got a bunch of tape in the Big 12. And God bless the Big 12, but it's not playing the AFC North over the course of three seasons. So, yeah, I, I think that there, there should be more certainty with the veteran, and that's going to be offset essentially by the, uh, by the contract. And the draft pick, honestly, I ended up being pretty comfortable with because I, I would take Brown over Jenkins in a vacuum, and that trade more or less ends up just costing them that 31st overall pick and change. Talking to Joshua Briscoe here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. So the Chiefs have two picks tonight, 58th overall, 63rd overall. What would be an ideal scenario in your eyes for how those picks are used? I think positionally, my best case scenario is a, is a receiver and an edge. We saw quite a bit of edge talent go at the very end of the draft last night. This, this whole class is so deep at receiver across the board. Uh, Diami Brown out of North Carolina is a guy that I really enjoyed uh, watching a little bit of and preparing for the, this, this range of the draft. Uh, Tylen Wallace also out of Oklahoma State has gotten a lot of love. He's uh, my friend Nate Taylor's favorite prospect in that range. So um, I think positionally it's probably those two guys. If you do get a chance, to find yourself perhaps drafting your center of the future uh, with either of these picks or maybe even tomorrow at some point. That would make a lot of sense as well. Linebacker's a little bit thin, but the best-case scenario is a guy like Brown. And then uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who uh, Owe went very late last night. Uh, Tyron went late last night. So there's, there's a variety of edges, though, that, that should be there around. I think Basham's still on the board. So if they ended up with Brown and Basham with those two picks, I'd be thrilled. And, and really, most guys in that range at receiver and edge, I think, would make a lot of sense. Deami Brown's an interesting name. Uh, I've heard some, you know, draft pundits. I heard somebody say he's the third best receiver in the draft class. They had him uh, just behind uh, Jamar Chase and Devontae Jason. When you look about the receiver, you, obviously you lose out on Sammy Watkins, and then you went after Juju Smith-Schuster, couldn't get him. When you look at a, a type of receiver, though, there's a very mm-hmm. obvious type that the Chiefs have. You've got speedsters. You've got maybe smaller guys. You lost Sammy, who was a bigger receiver, who was an elite route runner while still being athletic. Is there a prototype that you feel like the Chiefs will be pursuing with that receiver spot, or do you not? Is that is that hard to know at this point? I, I think there's one obvious trait, and it's that if you aren't fast, you can't sit with us. Like, it's just a non-starter. I'm, I'll, I'll mention Nate one more time. We were talking on Times Arts uh, before the draft about uh, the 2017 draft where the Chiefs, among other things, like getting Patrick Mahomes, also got Jehu Chesson out of Michigan, who wasn't really fast enough at Michigan, and they haven't taken a player like him since then because there's just no point. If you can't be 
speedy enough to create separation in the NFL. It's simply not going to work. It might be one of the biggest uh, misconceptions about Sammy Watkins is that, that he was like, and you, not that you just said this, I think you got it right, but you, you, know, you talk about him being like a, a dynamic route runner and, and being uh, you know, an expert in all of those ways. That dude was also fast as hell out of college, NFL, whatever he was healthy, he was still moving. And, and I think that's the cutoff, really. They're not going to draft the receiver who doesn't have the speed to stand up to him and uh, to NFL defenses and NFL corners and create separation there. Other than that, I, I don't think that height has a cutoff. I don't think hands have a cutoff. I think speed is the number one trait there by uh, a pretty wide margin. What could happen that would make the back of your head pop off based off what the Chiefs do tonight? <sighs> That's such a good question because honestly, I feel like I've had a pretty. I've been, I've been, you know, summoning positive feelings for a little. This while. could be positive. I, I get pop off. I'm thinking pop off in a negative way. It's, no, it's just that your brain, your brain, it cannot, it can no longer be contained inside of your skull because of all of the wires and the synapses that are firing. I would be really excited if they got one of those receivers being being. Brown, Brown or Wallace, probably in the top two guys. Those guys would be very, very exciting. Here's, here's a negative one. If they package those picks to move up, there's a, a, a tweet I was reading a second ago about how some teams are calling for 33. If the Chiefs do not make at least two picks today, I'll be really, really bummed out um, because I think this range is such a sweet spot, something Brett Beach has also talked about. So if they traded back and got three picks tonight, I'd be thrilled. If they traded up and only made one, I'd be really bummed. I hope at least one of those picks is on a speedy receiver. I see. I think that you maybe I'm not saying this is a bad thing or a good thing, but you think very differently than the average fan. The average fan will get excited for the idea of packaging a couple picks, trading up, and those moments, those those three minutes while we all try to figure out who they're trading up to get. I mean yeah. that that is the adrenaline rush that we all look for, that we yearn for in the NFL draft. Yeah, and the thing there is, if it's for a quarterback, and if it's what, obviously what they did with Mahomes, but even with the Bears, the Bears last night trading up for Justin Fields, I was so happy simply for Bears fans, and also just like kind of for the Bears, it just seemed like such a smart move in that spot because they had to fix that position. For quarterback, I'm willing to pay that premium, but I think for the most part, especially after you get out of that top ten, top fifteen sort of range, you're, you're playing darts to some extent. It's a metaphor that I've used a lot lately. If you, if you move back in the draft, you're moving farther away from the draft board, so you, you, or from the dart board, so you're, you're going to have to make things a little bit more difficult on yourself, even if you're really good at darts. But even if you're really good at darts from five feet away in the draft metaphor, you're going to occasionally hit the drywall because you, took, you traded up to take Mitch Trubisky or whatever. Um, and, and all sorts of first-round picks still bust out. Whenever you look at the Chiefs moving up for a guy like McCole Hardman, and they didn't know what Tyree Kill's status was going to be, and they really wanted to add a receiver that they knew was going to be able to bring that speed to, their, to the offense. They traded up and then had D.K. Metcalf and Terry McLaurin both go after their original pick would have been. Uh, they, they traded up and missed those guys. A.J. Brown went later in that draft than he should have. And I, I would rather have more darts to throw, even if it meant taking another step away from the dartboard before I got to throw them. He is Joshua Briscoe, almost entirely sports, on Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City as well as the Times Hours podcast on The Athletic. Always appreciate it, man. Enjoy your weekend. Leopold lies, Miles. I, don't, I can't believe you guys didn't get that great joke. No, we got it. We, oh, okay. we got it right away. Okay, you didn't laugh very hard. No? 
No. <laughs> no, we didn't. Is my connection bad, then? I don't... Like, yeah, I think it is. Actually, actually, you're cutting out right now. I think you're cutting out right now, Josh. <laughs> We're going to have to go ahead and let you go, okay, bud? Have a good weekend, guys. See you, dude. That is Joshua Briscoe, Sports Radio 810. That interview is brought to you by CycleZone Power Sports. Of course, CycleZone has all your dirt bike and four-wheeler needs, but did you know they also sell Sea-Doo's, Tracker Boats, and Yamaha Wave Runners? They've been selling watercraft for nearly a decade, and they recently added a second showroom for the new selection. Whether you need speed boats, fishing boats, or a pontoon for that relaxing day on the lake for your family, or even just yourself, a beer, and your fishing pole. Don't you deserve to feel that lake breeze after the year that we've had? CycleZone Power Sports can make that happen. Check them out at CycleZone.com, or you can stop by their dealership in person on Highway 24 in North Topeka. One hour down, two to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Quick shout out to all of our sponsors, RCST Trivia, 23rd Street Brewery, Sporting Kansas City, Pella Windows, Toppling Goliath, CBD of Lawrence, River Rat, Print and Skate, Jayhawk Trophy, Hawaiian Bros, and the Lawrence Public Library. Our first matchup today brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, open for dine-in, carry-out, and catering. Outdoor Patio is a great spot to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese. The Haney Turkey Stack or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery's beer, which you can get to go as well with their crowlers. All right, today is the final day, the final day of round two of RCST Trivia. We've got three spots in the sizzling 16 up for grabs. And once you make it to the round of 16, that means you're collecting some prizes. $20 to CBD of Lawrence as well as that RCST t-shirt. So there's only three opportunities left. Opportunity is knocking. It's your job to answer the door. One of these guys looking for one of those spots. One of these guys looking for their first ever sizzling 16 appearance. A pretty unconventional matchup here. But that's what we're all about. This one comes to us from the South region. A 10-15 showdown between the 10-seed Kyler and the 15-seed Landon. Kyler, you're looking for a spot in the sizzling 16. If my memory serves me correctly... You only had to answer one question right to make it into the second round. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So and, you, I, and I got uh, it was like a Diedrich Lawson question, but you gave a clarifying statement, and I still got my, my parents were like, yeah, "You should have got that for sure." I mean, you told him it was AJ Lawson was his brother, yeah. and so I didn't get any credit for even getting that question right. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess you kind of answered it there, but do you enter this matchup feeling like you have something to prove, if not to all of your critics out there, at least your parents? Oh, for sure. But <laughs> after listening to every single matchup up to this point, my wife is probably ready for me to bow out of the tournament so I can stop paying attention. And she, <laughs> she doesn't have to listen anymore, but she's, she just sits there and she takes it like a champ. Yeah, RCSD Trivia is supposed to bring people together. I don't want to drive a wedge in there in that marriage. But you know what? <laughs> if it results in you going on a deep run, I think in the end your wife will be appreciative and uh, it probably will get you some uh, some brownie points with all those prizes that you'd be collecting. Landon, on the other hand, RCST Trivia newcomer this year. In your first ever matchup, you knocked down four questions, 4-0. and oh to get your RCST trivia career started. So it's kind of the opposite of that. Do you feel like you've garnered some respect after your first round performance? 
I would I would like to think so, yeah. Um, I just hope not to lose it all in like two questions this <laughs> round. But I, I think I, I, I would like to think I have a little respect uh, gained after that. That's true, man. You only earn what you, you know. That's in the past. That's great. But it's all about what you do today. This is where the legacies are built. Kyler, Landon, I'm excited to have you two going at it to start off our final day, round two of RCST Trivia. You guys know how it works at this point, but I will give you a quick refresher. The only difference between your first round matchup and this one is we have done away with the really easy questions because you guys don't need the really easy questions. But everything else works exactly the same. You still have 30 seconds to answer your question. Your timer starts as soon as I get done asking. We will play you a five-second warning when you hear this ticking sound. That means you have five seconds to get an answer off. And make sure you do. Get an answer off before Eric Collins yells, oh, you don't want to go out looking. At least throw a shot in the dark. Guess Wilt Chamberlain or Danny Manning or Duke because that'll give you a better chance than saying nothing. Kyler, Landon, do you have any questions for me before we get this going? Uh, yeah, what are the answers to the questions? Uh, Derek, am I allowed to? Am I allowed to answer that? Um, no. Okay, so I have not been given clearance to give you that answer. Um, that is your only question, so no going back from here. Okay, Landon, you are the uh, you're the underdog. You're the 15 seed, so I'll give you the option of answering first or second. I will go second. Okay, so Kyler, first question is for you. Kyler, KU had five freshmen, including redshirt freshmen, on this roster in 2021. Name one of them. Uh, Latrell Giselle. Latrell Giselle is correct. Other freshmen would have included Dewan Harris, Jalen Wilson, Bryce Thompson, and Jethro Muscadin. Ironically, four of those five no longer with the program. Okay, Landon, question number one for you. KU had three seniors on the roster in 2021. Name one of them. Marcus Garrett. That's right, Marcus Garrett, as well as Mitch Lightfoot and Chris T. And those last two are going to be back for yet another season with the Jayhawks. All right. Kyler, back to you for question number two. Kyler, who is the guard for Kansas? From 1970 to 1972, he became one of three Jayhawks to earn All-America honors on the floor and academically, he would later go on to be a co-host of this here show on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Who is he? Stallworth? That is correct. Bud the Stud. One of the OG RCST co-hosts. All right, Landon, back to you. This two-time All-American selection played for KU from 1966 to 1969. He later played for the Boston Celtics, where his jersey is retired. I'm going to have to go with JoJo White. You do have to go with JoJo White. That's the only acceptable answer. That is correct. Two for two. Great start, fellas. We got a showdown here. Second round matchup coming to us from the South region. A 10-15. It's going to be a Cinderella story no matter what. If a 10 or a 15 makes it on to the sizzling 16, that's about to happen. Who will it be? Let's find out. Kyler, question number three. One KU player all time 
has won the conference's sixth man of the year honor, which is a relatively new award. It came under Bill Self. Who was that Jayhawk to win the Big 12 sixth man of the year award? I'm going to go with it because he didn't start all the season, but maybe Joel Embiid. Kyler, the correct answer was Sharon Collins. Sharon Collins in uh, 2008, obviously, with uh, was, was essentially well, referred to by a lot of people as the sixth starter for the Jayhawks on that title team. Okay, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Landon, as a 15th seed... If you can answer this question correctly, you are moving on to the next round. Landon, Vern Long, Vern Long, the great Vern Long, I tell you, holds the KU record for most free throw makes in a game. He made made 22 of them back in 1911. The next two closest... In that record, had 18 each. So there's a tie for second place. Most free throws in a game, 18 each. I need you to name one of those players. You need me to name just one of those players or each? Just one of the two. Okay. I gotta, I gotta guess Wilt Chamberlain. That is correct. Wilt Chamberlain and Wayne Simeon was the other one. They both made 18 free throws in a game. You know, I say it as a joke most of the time. I say it as a joke. If you don't have a clue who it is, guess Wilt Chamberlain. And I think that's the first time, dating back to last year, that anybody has just sort of blindly guessed without having known the answer, Wilt Chamberlain. And it does happen to be Wilt Chamberlain. So I guess the joke is a little bit more I knew he made strange. a lot of free throws, but at yeah. the same time, yes. I, uh, he wasn't an efficient <laughs> free throw shooter. I don't know what he guess. did. I don't know what he went from the line in that game. He was not an efficient free throw shooter, but um, high volume. And that is correct. Landon, as a 15 seed, you're moving on to the sizzling 16. How's it feel? Uh, feels good. Did not expect to be here. I, quite frankly, thought I'd lose to Grant last week. Uh, so I am, I am happy to be here. Uh, you know, Kyler, definitely a worthy opponent. Um, I definitely thought I was, I was going down to him, but, uh, it was a fun match. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a tough one. I thought both of those questions were pretty tough. Um, I don't know. I, I never paid attention. I didn't even know they had a six. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know they had a, a big 12, six. Man it was the for the award. 2008 year when they won the title. I, I mean, I, yeah. I figured that, but I didn't even know that was an award. I don't see it publicized. Kyler, did you know that was an award? Not even close. And I and I did a lot of all of the research and stuff I did was all tournament based because I felt pretty confident about like I I knew the Will Chamberlain question because I would look at his stats, but I honestly didn't even know that that was an award. And I try and then I think maybe the, the clarifying point when you said it's a recent award. I mean, that's 12 years ago. So maybe I got hung up on that. and I was trying to think back of recent rosters. Yeah. But I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah, that, that may be a little subjective. Recent. 
it was also, yeah, you're right, 13 years. I blame Derek, honestly. It's not your fault. It's Derek's fault. So more controversy. Way to go, Derek. Way to go. No, it was a great job. Um, Tough questions for both you guys. Congratulations to you, Landon. You're moving on to the Sizzling 16. Kyler, you did great. Hopefully, you know, the conversation that comes next with your wife, you guys can start to to mend that fence a little bit and get back to some normalcy over <laughs> yeah, there in the welcome, Nelson Kyler, household. Actually, <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you your marriage. marriage. Back. <laughs> hey, thanks, guys. Great job. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good luck. RCST Trivia brought to you by Toppling Goliath with a brewery and tap room located in Decorah, Iowa. Toppling Goliath features 10 of the top 250 beers in the world, according to Beer Advocate. That also includes three of the top 10, three of the top 10 world beers and six of the top 100. If you're not going to be making it up to Decorah anytime soon, don't worry. You can order Toppling Goliath apparel and beer at tgbrews.com. Everybody who wins in the second round of RCST Trivia and makes it into the Sizzling 16 is going to win a $20 gift card to CBD of Lawrence, as well as an RCST t-shirt, which, as we all know, you cannot possibly put a price tag on. RCST Trivia is brought to you by Sporting Kansas City. MLS is back. After finishing at the top of the Western Conference last season, Sporting Kansas City is ready to take the field and paint the wall this year. And if you haven't heard, Sporting Kansas City will be welcoming a limited capacity crowd again this season. To watch Sporting Kansas City live and in person this year, go to SeatGeek.com SKC. And because you're a listener of Rock Chalk Sports Talk, use the code SKCRCST at checkout to get an exclusive discount on tickets. Again, use the code SKCRCST at checkout and receive an exclusive discount for our listeners at checkout. We'll see you at Children's Mercy Park. All right, just two spots left up for grabs. Two more matchups today. Both of these matchups feature one seed, which means they both feature a final four contestant from a year ago. We haven't had a big upset like that. Two one seeds have already advanced onto the sizzling 16. Will this be all chalk? Will all four one seeds make it to the round of 16? Let's find out. From the South region, it's a 1-8 matchup. Featuring our third place finisher from a year ago, Eric Hansey, and the eighth seed, Sam Davis. Fellas, welcome again to RCST Trivia. Eric, I just told you the stats. Two one seeds have already advanced. Two more going today. You're one of them. Do you feel the pressure to keep the streak alive for the one seeds? I do now. <laughs> 25 and one, though, man. You're 25 and one. On trivia questions, so there's got to be some built-up confidence at this point that you're going to be able to handle whatever's thrown your way, right? You know, every year is a new year, so you would think so. But uh, I've been listening, and I think I'm maybe psyching myself out a little bit at the, uh, I feel like, the increase of quality of contestants and some of the questions getting asked. So um, always going to have a little bit of nerves, regardless of the record. And there's definitely uh, an increased uh, level of competition and I've had several people, several people from last year coming back and saying, man, these are, it's tougher. We got a tougher feel, which is certainly the case. We've got another contestant who was in the tournament last year in the eight seed, Sam Davis. Sam, I have a bone to pick with you, actually, because all last year when we were doing this through phone, I thought you were our former intern, Sam Davis. You never corrected me, and I thought, oh, this is just a different Sam who is joining this year. I went back and looked. You're the same Sam who was on this year. You've still yet to correct me that for two years or for a year plus, I have been referring to you as our former intern 
and you never said anything to correct me. What's up, dude? Well, I got to tell you, the pandemic does weird things. Um, ironically enough, I did actually intern at another Kansas City sports radio <laughs> station, and I'm kind of just got my wires crossed, and it's been a, okay. been a weird time in the <laughs> pandemic, you know? I thought he, I thought you were about to say, I did intern for you. You must have forgotten about me because then I was going to feel terrible. But, okay, that's understandable. I just wanted to clarify that before we moved forward. All right, guys, I'm excited for this one. You're uh, going for one of the final spots that we have here in the Sizzling 16. You guys know how this works by now. The only difference from your first matchup to this one is we have done away with those really easy questions. So you only have four difficulty tiers to work through instead of three. But everything else works exactly the same. You have 30 seconds to answer. Your timer begins as soon as I get done asking the question. And we will play you a five-second warning when you hear that. That means you have five seconds left to answer. Get your answer off before you hear Eric Collins yell, oh, otherwise... You have run out of time, and you're automatically getting that one wrong. You guys have any questions, or are you ready to get this thing rolling? All good. Let's get going. All right, Sam, as the underdog, you have the option of answering first or second. I'll go second. Okay. Eric, the one seed, the first question is for you. Eric, KU had two players listed at six foot ten on their roster this year. That was... They were both the tallest players on the team. One started, one hardly played at all. Name one of those two players for me. Uh, David McCormick. There you go. The other one, Jethro Muscadin, no longer with the program. Okay, Sam, question number one for you. The two shortest players on KU's roster were both point guards. One came off the bench, and the other one hardly played at all. Name one of those players for me. Latrell Jossel. Latrell Giselle and Juan Harris would have been the other correct answer. Okay. Both knocking down your first questions. Let's move on. And we're going back to you now, Eric. Eric, the lone McDonald's All-American that KU brought in for the 2017-2018 season was a forward who never played in a non-exhibition game for KU. Who is he? Billy Preston. That's right. We thought he was the missing piece. It turns out he wasn't, but they still made the no, final No, he was four. missing. And he was missing. Yeah, he just wasn't the, uh, mm-hmm. the piece. All right, Sam, question number two for you. In the 2015-2016 season, Kansas brought in a McDonald's All-American big man who played sparingly that season, but he still left for the NBA and was drafted. Who was it? That would have been Shek Diallo. Shek Diallo is correct. Kansas had a little bit of a run there, bringing in McDonald's All-American big mans who didn't really pan out. Shek, Carlton Bragg, Cliff Alexander, Billy Preston. Okay. Two for two for both you guys. That's what I like to see. It's a 1-8 matchup in the South region. Let's dim the lights. Let's, uh, let's change up the vibe here as Eric and Sam dueling it out for a spot in the sizzling 16. Eric, we go back to you now for question number three. Eric, Jeff Boshi and Devontae Graham are number one and number two on the KU list for most three-pointers made all time. What Jayhawk, who played in the mid to late 90s, is third on that list? 
mid to late 90s. Mid to late 90s. Just got a new job. Uh, Billy Thomas. That's right. Billy Thomas did just get a new job. I believe he's taken over as the head coach for Rockhurst in Kansas City. All right, Sam. Question number three for you. Sam, what Jayhawk guard from the early 90s holds the school record for career free throw percentage at 84.9%, and you have to have a minimum of 150 attempts to qualify? Early 90s? Early 90s. Career free throw percentage. Man, not sure about this one. Let's go with uh, Terry Brown. Terry Brown, good guess. Mm. He, he was a sharpshooting guard, but the correct answer was two-time All-Big 8 selection Rex Walters. Rex Walters was mm. the one that we mm-hmm. were looking for. That's right. The, sometimes you go back just an era, and that can be enough to confuse it a little bit. And just like that, Eric, you are moving on to the sizzling 16 you keeping the trend alive of one seeds in the round of 16. How's it feel? Re- relaxing a little bit. Uh, I, it's like you said, the luck of the draw on those questions. I would not have known Rex Walters on that, that one. So um, relieved, relieved that I guess I got to go first in this in this matchup. And sometimes that's all it takes. You know one, you don't, don't know the other. What about you, Sam? Would you have gotten the Billy Thomas one? Yeah, I had the Billy Thomas answer. Ah. Man, so it's that it's that quick. Yeah, that's how it goes. That's the difference. That's the difference between one guy winning and one guy going home. Well, Sam, you did a great job. You went toe to toe with uh, a Final Four contestant. So probably, I don't know, man. We had him as an eight seed. I don't know what the selection committee was thinking there. I say that to everybody, but you made it this far. You performed well. If you're back next year, I'd imagine that uh, that number is going to be bumped up a little bit. So, Sam, thank you once again, Eric. Congratulations. We'll see you in the next round, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you. RCST Trivia is brought to you by Pella Windows. Pella Product of Kansas is your one-stop shop for all your window and door needs. Pella offers everything from turnkey window and door replacements to experts in the field that can work with your contractor and find the perfect solution for that project to make your house feel like a home. Whether you're building a home, taking on a remodeling project, or simply want the best replacement solution, Pella Windows has all your answers. Stop by the newly remodeled showroom on the northwest corner of 6th and Wakarusa or call 785 749 4808. Don't hesitate. Appointments are filling up fast. All right, one spot. One final spot in the sizzling 16 up for grabs. The winner of this gets into the round of 16. They get $20 to CBD of Lawrence. They get the RCST t-shirt. One final spot. The last matchup of round two, and it should be a good one. We've got a one seed and an eight seed. Liam, our fourth place finisher from a season ago, taking on the eight seed, Tyler the 1-8 matchup from the East region. Liam, I don't know if you know this, but the three other one seeds, the three other guys who made it to the Final Four a year ago have already secured a spot in the sizzling 16. Does that add any extra pressure here ahead of this matchup? Uh, you know, there's always pressure, especially uh, as a one seed. Second round, I don't think that ever ever uh, shies away. So... Yeah, you know, you, you think back to the to the tough losses. I mean, Northern Iowa, that's uh, that's one that sticks in the crawls of a lot of people's brains. Rhode Island, that came up earlier this week. Those second-round losses as a one seed, 
Always a tough pill to swallow. Tyler, the flip side of it, maybe you're feeling the pressure too because, as I just told him, no eight seed, no nine seed has been able to pull off the upset here in the second round. So why, why should we believe that, Tyler, you're the one who has what it takes and you can get the job done and pull off the big upset? Man, I want to win. I want to win bad. I, uh, I'm i nervous because I want to win, but uh, I've been studying. I've grown up a KU fan, and so I think I'm up for the challenge. I love it, man. The one-two is half the battle. The preparation's the other half. So, I mean, you check in both of those boxes there. I love it when people come on, and, and you can tell they've been doing their homework, man. Knowing that at night when everybody else is sleeping, going out, drinking a beer, having a good time, you know, you got the lamp on. You're sitting there putting in the extra hours. Will it pay off? Let's find out. One final matchup here in round two of RCST Trivia. Liam and Tyler, you guys know how it works. Everything's going to be the same except for one thing from your first round matchup. No more really easy questions. No more layups because you guys don't need them. But everything else is the same. You have 30 seconds to answer. Clock starts when I get done asking the question. And we will play you a five-second warning. When you hear the ticking sound, five seconds. Get an answer off. Say something. I mean, we just heard somebody win by guessing. I say, I mean, I say it all the time. Guess Will Chamberlain, guess Danny Manning. Somebody did it, got one right, moving on to the next round. Sometimes that's all it takes. Liam, Tyler, do you guys have any questions? Are you ready to do it? No, let's do it. All right. There you go. Tyler, you are the eighth seed. You have the option of answering first or second. I'm going to go second. Okay, Liam, question number one is for you. Liam, this former KU All-American guard set the school record for most consecutive free throws made without a miss. He made 36 of them in a row in 2009 when he was a second-team All-American. What's his name? 2009. 2009. Uh, Sharon Collins. Sharon Collins is correct. Tyler, question number one for you. Second on that list was another former KU All-American, though this guy was a forward. He hit 34 straight free throws in 2005 during his first team All-American campaign as a senior. Who was he? Wayne Simeon. Big dub. Wayne Simeon is correct. Okay, Liam, back to you for question number two. Liam, this current Washburn basketball head coach and former RCST member, that's right, former Rock Chalk Sports Talk co-host, came off the bench for two minutes in KU's final four loss to Maryland in 2002. Who was it? Idea. Oh. Uh. Couldn't even think of a name. Wow. Yeah. Maybe it'll come to him. Let the clock play out. Yeah, it's tough. Will Chamberlain. (laughs) Uh, Does the name Brett Ballard mean anything? Does that ring a bell at all? Means nothing to me. Wow. Unfortunately, sorry. I'm sorry, Brett. Wow. Yeah, Brett. I'm really sorry, Brett. Brett was actually Brian Haney's co-host when they started RCSD back in 2001 and an assistant coach for KU, now the head coach right down the road in Topeka. 
for Washburn. Yeah, Brett Ballard. Okay, that's a tough one. Second round. Um, and Tyler, if you get this right, you're pulling off the upset of the tournament. If you can answer this question correctly. Tyler. This current Division I head coach won 1995 Big 8 Newcomer of the Year as a player at Kansas. Who was it? Jared Hass. Jared Hass is correct. And Tyler did it, folks. The 8 seed. Knocking off the 1 seed. Tyler moving on to the next round. You said you wanted it. You said you've been putting in work. Tyler. Tell us how it feels. Well, Jared Hass, he wrote Floor Burns. That's been my – I've been hustling, studying. <laughs> Man, I feel great right now. Uh, I guess Jared Hass, I guess, came in close for me. So, How do you celebrate a win like this, Tyler? It's a Friday night, so what are you going to do now? I would really like a nice night of golf. That sounds like a great way to celebrate. There you go. Great weather. Therapeutic. All this adrenaline, might, I might be pumping 300 off the tee. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who does know? Man, go relax. Go do whatever you need to do. Liam, that's tough because it's one thing to miss a question where you're like, okay, I'm between these two guys. It's another thing when it's like, okay, I know the era, so there's a few names coming to mind, but I'm not really sure. It's another thing all entirely to not have a clue who it was. So as you look back on the one that knocked you out, like tell me how you're feeling right now, Liam. And don't hold back. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's tough, obviously, uh, especially coming off of last last season's run. Uh, second round isn't isn't the goal, but you know, I didn't I got to brush up more on my uh, 2001 bench warmers. Um, Ooh, yeah, see. I think I should, I got to pick up, do a lot more. I, I didn't, uh, yeah, you know, it's tough, but we'll, we'll, we'll be back next year. We'll be back next year. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, Ben, it, this, that was a question that was not really applicable to how much he played, more so what he did after the fact. So I can understand if there's a little bit of frustration there, Liam, and sometimes that's just the way, you know, the questions fall that, you flip him back and forth. It could be you it's moving on to the sizzling 16 and, and Tyler going home early. So we appreciate both you guys, Liam. Thank you, Tyler. Congratulations. You pulled off the win. We'll see you in the next round. All right. Thanks. Congrats, Tyler. So one day before the KU spring game, which is happening tomorrow in Memorial stadium, KU gets their new head coach, Lance Leipold of Buffalo. He was one of the front runners, one of the names circulating most heavily throughout this entire process, not just over the last month and a half when Travis Goff was hired as AD, but really over the last, what, almost two months, ever since Les Miles and KU parted ways. Lance Leipold has been one of those names. Now he is the name, the new head coach at Kansas. Let's talk about it with Matt Tate of the LJ World. Matt normally joined us on Tuesday. Didn't work out this week, but actually it did work out this week because we get to talk about this news when it's hot and fresh off the press. Matt, your immediate reaction to Lance Leipold being the guy. I think it's a terrific hire. I think he'll do a good job. Um, and I think that if any KU fans out there are feeling like celebrating this news, you should do it. It's Friday afternoon. It's sunny. It's beautiful. It's kind of the weekend of Kansas football right now. You got this news today. You got the spring game tomorrow. 
Um, and, and then you got a lot of things that, that still need to be sorted out and, and kind of tracked and enjoyed, hopefully, for fans uh, in, in the days and months and years ahead. So if you're celebrating, I do not blame you because I think this is as good a job or as good a hire as Travis Goff could have made. Um, and and I, I applaud him for, for doing a very good search, doing a very thorough search, um, taking the time he needed, uh, looking at all angles, talking to all kinds of people, and getting a real feel for, for what Kansas needed. Um, I think they found it. I think this is a classic football coach. I think this is a grinder. I think this is a guy who is willing to work. And you know, he may be a little bit crazy, to be honest, but I've always told people that I think you you have to be a little bit crazy to want to be the head football coach at Kansas. And the reason I say he may be a little bit crazy is because he just did this at Buffalo. He took over a struggling program that had all kinds of hills to climb, and he got it going and, and has had a fabulous run over the last couple, three seasons, and, and had a lot of his team coming back for 2021, could have just sat up there and said, this is great, let's let's enjoy this, let's let's keep this rolling and, and have some fun now that we put the hard work in. Instead, he gets this opportunity at Kansas and does not hesitate to jump back into the foxhole. I mean, this guy is... This guy is uh, comfortable in the grind, comfortable in the in the in the rebuilding mode that it's going to take to get Kansas back on track, and, and um, that makes him a little bit crazy to want to go do this all over again. But but it's a test. Uh, he talked about Buffalo as a test when he was hired there, and and said he wanted to take that test. And I can only assume we'll hear something similar from him on Monday when he's introduced. Um, I think this guy's all about proving himself and seeing what what he can do, and and uh, and, and I say that without any hint of, of ego involved. I, I don't think he's ever about himself. I think he wants to uh, to to uh, get the kids in positions of success and 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 give them all the credit and, and put them where they need to go to, to have a good college football experience. I, I mean, you know, you can hear me. I'm going on and on and on. I think it's a great hire. And uh, I think KU fans should be very excited. This is def- definitely different than anything we've seen with the last handful of hires. There's no gimmick here. There's no splash. There's no big name. There's no hot up-and-comer. There's no hot-shot recruiter. This is just a football coach who coaches the game very well, works hard, is humble, and, and likes to, to, to deliver results that people like to see. So there's going to be a lot of these questions that will be answered whenever we get to hear from him. I believe his, his press conference won't be until next week. But in the meantime, you know, we have... I guess, the luxury of getting to sit here and speculate on on the answer to these questions. But Travis Goff, we, we knew it was no secret over the last week or two that Leipold was one of the guys. Jeff Munkin was another name that was heavily mentioned. There were some others. But specifically, if you look at Leipold and Munkin, who had similar resumes in going to Buffalo and Army, respectively, and taking over programs that didn't really have a whole lot going, we can nitpick and, and point out the differences between those two guys in those two situations. But ultimately, if you were putting your finger on it, what do you think ultimately separated Leipold from Munkin as well as some others? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it, it, you know, there's, there's definitely something about the, the versatility and, and just, you know, he seems to me like a coach that's willing to, to fit his, his uh, philosophy and, and his schemes and whatnot, his personality has. And, and I, I think that Jeff Monken has a much more 
um, focused offense, and and that that requires a little extra work in recruiting. And and uh, you know they run that triple option, and I know it was widely popular that that uh, he didn't want to do that here. I heard the same thing, um, and and that's great, but that gave me cause for concern on a couple of levels. Number one, if you're going out and hiring a coach from Army who's had all kinds of success as a triple option coach and that's how he's won games and built his program and that's how he competes uh, against the likes of Oklahoma, right? I mean, the, the, why do you want to hire that guy and ask him to come do something different or, or even allow him to come do something different? I, I, I just never understood that. And, and, you know, I don't know that it would have been roasted. I think, I think throughout this process with those two guys early on kind of becoming the, the top targets, um, at least from the outside looking in, and they may have been the tar- targets on the inside. We don't know that yet. But, but either way, it, it, that was the perception. And, and so I think all along you would have, you, you would have felt like KU was in position to make a good hire as long as they picked one of those two. I mean, it just felt that way the entire time. But I, I, I do think that would have been a little more cause for concern, a little bit more of a question that says, well, so he says he's not going to run that here, but you hired him based on kind of that success. So what gives, you know? So I, I, I don't know that that was it, but that, that would be it for me. I mean, I think that, that Leipold's ability to, to, to adapt a little bit more and, and to, to run different schemes on both sides of the ball, really, not just offense, not just defense, but, you know, he's shown uh, a strong ground game and, and been one of the best running teams in the country. Uh, he's also been a, a team that can air it out and, and had great success through the air uh, offensively. So, you know, he, he, to me, shows a little more versatility. And, uh, you know, I, I think – when it comes to recruiting, it's a little bit different too. Um, at Army, the situation is very different. Uh, they have, I, I, I believe, at least I, I heard this along the way, that, that you know their situation is that they, they can sign as many guys as they want, and and they're basically recruiting from all fifty states, right? Because it's it's Army, so um, you know it's about more than just football there. Whereas um, Leipold with with his you know, more Midwest ties being at in Wisconsin most of his life, but also spending time at Nebraska and Nebraska, Omaha and, and, you know, uh, doing things in this, in this region. I, I think there's some ties there too, that, that, you know, aren't going to make or break anything they're not the difference, but I think there's a, there's a more of a footprint, more of a comfort zone there for him probably. And, and he's going to have to go down into Texas and, and, and maybe they'll be able to keep doing Louisiana and, and, you know, other areas too. But, but I, I just think that, that the, the versatility in both of those areas as a recruiter and also as a, as a, as a guy who, who fits his style to the personnel he has, I, I think that's huge for Kansas. Um, and I think it puts Kansas a little bit ahead on, on day one than, than maybe it would have with, with some other hires because um, this is a guy who's going to walk in here. He's probably looking at film right now as we're talking. And uh, he's going to say, well, this is what I've got, so this is what we're going to do in 2021. And that doesn't mean that's his long-range plan. That doesn't mean that's what they'll do in 2025 or whatever. But, but I, I do think he's willing to, to take that, that big-picture look at things and say, all right, this is what suits us best right now. And don't look now, but KU's got a pretty good stable of running backs. And so the fact that he's had some recent success with the ground game 
and now he's coming in here with a bunch of backs that, that look pretty good, um, you know, that might be a little bit of a seamless transition if, if he can get things coached up and get the right uh, coaches in here to, to kind of develop those kids. Because for me, that's what it's all about. The whole hiring process was – it wasn't even about the best candidate. It was about – who can evaluate and develop players better? Because at Kansas, you're not going to out-recruit your competitors. You're not going to go into Big 12 country and out-recruit all those schools that are ahead of you on the ladder. You have to find guys, evaluate the heck out of them, and, and make sure they fit your system. And then when they get here, develop the heck out of them too. And, and that's what Mangino did. Glenn Mason was known for that, and, and those guys had success here. The rest of them, David Beatty came in here trying to out-recruit everybody. Charlie Weiss went heavy juco. You know, it, it just it hasn't worked, and so I, I like that they're they're getting back to this idea of of evaluation, development, and and roll up your sleeves and put the work in. You know, it's funny you mention that because everybody remembers Turner Gill when he got here. We're going to recruit, we're going to develop, we're going to recruit. Right? Everybody remembers that line. Uh, Didn't it, he say beat Missouri? Beat like, Missouri. Yeah, recruit. Right. <laughs> um, you know, that was a big. That was a big selling point for David Beatty, right? When he yeah. was the wide receivers coach at Texas A&M, what was sort of the top line on his resume? Oh, well, you know, he helped get, uh, who was it, Kenny Hill, right? He helped he helped recruit uh, Johnny Menzel, like all these guys to Texas A&M. And even with Les Miles, like what did he, what did we, what did, he, what did he, we hear him say in Miles to Go? He's like talking about, oh, you remind me of Odell Beckham Jr. Like, hey, I got this ring. Like it was all about recruiting, for virtually yep. every single coach that KU has brought in. And this is directly, we'll hear more about it on, on Monday, but this is directly from the release from Lance Leipold. He says, we are going to build this program through developing players, discipline, and determination. At no point in that brief little blurb that he provided today does he mention recruiting, and I thought that was pretty telling. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, I think that... I think that this is a guy that, that believes that you give me 10 kids or 20 kids or 100 kids that want to work hard and have some love for the game of football and, and are, you know, are good athletes and all that, I don't care what their size is. I don't care what their measurables are. I don't, I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want kids that, that want to work and, and will do what I tell them to do and, and will – buy in and will sell out for their teammates and, and do everything that's asked of them for the greater good. And, and, you know, that, that's the type of coach that I believe he is. And, and we've seen plenty of coaches have success with that approach. And, and so it, it, it doesn't have to be shiny and flashy and glitz and glamour. It, it, you know, it, that hasn't worked here. Um, it doesn't work a lot of other places. It does work some places, but that's not Kansas. That's certainly not Kansas um, in, in today's, landscape i don't know that that's really ever been kansas to be honest with you i mean it is kansas basketball i get that but um but this is football and the two are totally different animals so i i think that that that's uh you know yeah he'll have to recruit well he'll have to find guys that 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 fit what he does and and you know that's that's true everywhere but I, i think that um to a coach with that mentality i think the idea of worrying too much about recruiting is is a little overrated i think i think it's about let's just go find the right players the right kids who, who want to be tough and be physical and 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 play hard and put in the work and don't whine and don't ask this and don't like to just look good in the uniform and all these things give me those kids and i'll work them i'll develop them i'll get them 
to produce what we need them to produce. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the ultimate confidence in yourself and your program and your philosophy and your ability. And, and again, this is a guy that, that has, I haven't seen anyway, I haven't seen an ounce of ego dripping off this guy. Um, this is just what he knows. This is just how he knows how to do it. And, and it's not, oh, I want to do it because it'll make me look good. It's, I want to do it because it's my job, and I want to do it because it's the best thing for these kids. So I, I think he'll recruit, and I think he'll have to do well, but I think he really is from that, that, that mold that says, just give me tough kids that play hard, and I'll take care of the rest. We'll, we'll get them. We'll get them where we need to get, to get them. And, and that's major, man. That, that is such big, big stuff for Kansas because that's how you're going to make up ground. It's not by going and finding four star guys because they're not coming here. It's about finding guys that that nobody else wanted and and tapping into that chip on their shoulder and and using it to the best of your advantage and and ability and and turning it into a team full of guys like that that that, that end up being kind of nasty. And uh, I I think you know he's got a long way before they get to that point, but um, I think we'll start to see that kind of uh, surfacing early rather than rather than having to wait for that to show up over the time over the 45 years I, I think you'll start to see that identity develop early talking to Matt Tate of the LJ world for a few more minutes here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk what do you think should be the first order of business for Lance Leipel when he officially uh, takes that whistle and takes over the program well it's already May tomorrow so you got to get going and um, you know, you, you, the number one thing is you got to you got to have a strength coach that you that you trust and that you believe can can do what you need to do over the summer because um, you're not going to be able to work with them as much as you would like to until August and and you missed spring so you've got to put somebody in charge of these kids from a strength and conditioning standpoint that that you trust that you believe in and if that means it's your guy from from Buffalo that you bring with you if that means it's a guy you had at Wisconsin Whitewater that you call up and say, Hey, I need you. Or if that means you like the guy who's here and, 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 uh, and you already want to just have him keep his relationships with these kids and, and, you know, believe that that's the best thing for your program, whatever it is, you, you've got to find that out day one. I mean, that, 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 that should be decided maybe before the weekend's over. Um, and then after that, yeah, you know, it's important to put the staff together because the staff is, is, so crucial at every program, but especially when you come in behind like this. And, and so I, I would imagine that he's going to keep at least a couple of guys from the current staff, probably not very many, but um, you'd like to think that, that based on the work he did this spring with the team, um, but also the work he's done over the last two years as a recruiter and, 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 a, and a big-time coach, I mean, you'd like to think that as long as Emmett Jones wants to be here, he'll have a spot on that staff. Um, that's not a guarantee by any means, but I'd be shocked if, if, uh, if that's not the case. And, and again, that's if he wants to be here, which I would assume he will. So um, you, you need to start sorting those things out, I think, is, is so important because uh, when, when you're playing from behind like they will be, you know, it, it's not just about Lance Leipold and it's not just about his philosophy. I mean, he, he's got to have these guys, these arms that are extensions of him that are in the meeting rooms and, and talking to these kids about the playbook and, and things like that. Um, those guys have to be, you know, in sync and they have to be familiar to you. So I, I think that getting that sorted out to me is, is, is by far the next big step after sorting out that strength and conditioning thing. So, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll start knocking things off his to-do list. And, uh, and, and I'm sure between now and August, he'll spend a ton of time watching tape and evaluating what 
the personnel looks like that they have here. And, and you know, yeah, he needs to sell these guys, too. He needs to say, hey, I want all of you to stick around. You know, they're going to lose some guys. A couple of guys are going to transfer. I don't think it's going to fall apart like some people are worried about. Um, but, but a couple guys are going to leave. It happens every time you have a coaching change. But I think it, it would behoove him to sit there, and, and whether it's today or tomorrow or whenever it is, at your first team meeting, do your best to convince these guys you want them all to stay because you're already playing from behind in terms of the time and the calendar and all that stuff. You don't want to have to start playing from behind on the numbers game too, which we've seen what, what that looks like over the past several years. It's not pretty for Kansas. So, um, you know, hard things happening early. I mean, he's got to get, get those three things settled and, and sorted out and, and do it rather quickly. And, and, and then things kind of fall into place from there. But uh, again, he's been through this. So I don't think this is anything that, that would be a surprise to him. And in fact, I think it's probably something that he relishes a little bit and probably is looking forward to. He's Matt Tate. You can check out his work in the Lawrence Journal world, KUSports.com. I know he's going to have a ton of stuff up today and over the weekend on this news. Lance Leipold, the new KU football coach. Matt, appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time. Yes, sir. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon, Nick. Appreciate you fitting me in on a Friday. It was uh, it was well-timed. Thanks. So after, I think it was 52 days, 52 days, KU football finally has their new head coach, Lance Leipold. He was a name mentioned a lot across those 52 days. And now, less speculation and more getting down to work. I guess there is still speculation about what kind of job Lance Leipold is going to do, how he's going to be received, what his first order of business is going to be. Let's talk about all that with former Kansas running back now with the Jayhawk Radio Network, Brandon McAnderson, joining us on the show. What do you think, BMAC? What do you think Lance Leipold's first order of business ought to be after he officially takes over as KU's football coach? I think just to allow the players to get to know him. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, that's the part that's always hard to understand, but I think he's, he's going to go out of his way to be fair to those guys and let them know what his plans are for the program in the short term and the long term and, and where he sees these guys sitting in. I think that's always the first step um, is making sure that the players are comfortable with you because they don't have any input on this. You know, just they're, they're kind of uh, at the mercy of it. So I think opening that line of communication is, uh, is a priority. Do you think there's going to be initial skepticism for some of the players that are in the locker room? I and mean, what do you have to do as a coach to – recruit the guys that are already there so one i'm sure there's going to be skepticism because they don't know him you know and he's at buffalo where i don't know how many of these guys even recruited you know or even had any awareness of so they're not going to be super familiar with him however one of the ways you can kind of build the the inroads to those relationships is seeing what uh, on the current coaching staff, you can use as an asset to help you do that. So I think it's an evaluation that's two-sided, making sure that relationship is good with the players, and then also making sure that the coaches that could contribute to your staff and program moving forward um, are in, are given every opportunity to to be a part of it. If that means you know keeping the players um, that you want to keep and keeping everybody happy and keeping the morale up, because I do think it's a team that feels pretty good about itself. Um, from a morale standpoint, I, you know, I was able to attend the spring practice and I, I just like the attitude. I like the movement. I like what they were doing. When you, I mean, you've lived through all of these hires um, over the past you know, 12 plus years, going back from Turner Gill to Charlie Weiss to David Beatty to Les Miles. Now this, 
And we'll get to hear from him when he does his introductory press conference. But on the surface, how do you feel like this hire compares with some of the other ones that we've seen over the past decade plus? I'm going to say something very weird. (laughs) This feels like the first hire that was made based upon um, being a good coach. Now, I know that sounds a little harsh, but, you know, Les Miles was hired here because of his friendship with Jeff Long. Uh, David Beatty was hired here because he pitched them on making less money and being like a, a grinder. Um, Charlie, I don't know why Charlie was getting hired here. Um, and then you're moving on, you know, trying to win a press conference or something like that. I'm not sure. Turner Gill was a legitimate uh, candidate. So it's been a while. I think that's the biggest difference is that this is a person that went out and earned an opportunity to get this job based on what he was actually doing, based on production, you know, based on um, – player development so he's a it's a hire that i think has more to do with football and i don't think you should be making any hires for your football program that don't have anything to do with football and i think that's just something that's happened a lot here so this is a specific football hire for a guy that's that's done the work does that change how you are going to evaluate him just in terms of okay this is what you want to see this is what you don't want to see this is what i would deem to be successful so I set the bar for what I would deem to be successful at a competitive physical team, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> and, and that's still the I mean that's still the bar for me. It's just not it's not ever happened consistently. Um this has just not been a very competitive team in terms of, you know, having a chance to beat good teams, being in games with teams that they're even with. Um that's a plateau we've not even gotten close to approaching. Um you know, under Les Miles, a couple of years ago, there were some moments, but nothing ever sustained. Um, so I think that's still the bar. The bar is competitiveness. The bar is, you know, competing at a level um, adjacent to the other people in your conference. Now, that may not mean winning four games every, you know, winning four conference games every year, but it means making progress towards, you know, being a competitive part of the conference. And that's just something we've not gotten any closer to. So uh, this has kind of been a two-horse race, I know, for in a lot of people's minds over the last couple of weeks between Lance Leipold and Jeff Munkin. And I'm sure you, as well as the rest of us, BMAC, sort of looked at the pros and cons for some of these guys. When you looked at Leipold specifically in comparison to Jeff Munkin, like what stood out to you as, okay, maybe these are specific advantages that he has over the other guys he's competing with here? I would say I was more impartial through the process. Um, just because there's so much I'm unaware of. So, you know, as it approached, I didn't have a preference uh, one over the other, especially for the two people that were linked to it. You know, Kevin Kane was a former teammate of mine. I'm a huge fan of his. He was the guy I was rooting for. Obviously, I like Emmett Jones a lot. You know, but that's just personal experience, not necessarily coach knowing about them as coaches. Um, With that being said, I watched a lot of Leipold after that, you know, once he was hired. And and what I like about him is I I like the consistency and I like the ability to do one thing really, really well. I mean, it's a conversation that we've had in the past before, too, is that everywhere they've gone, everywhere he's gone, they've been able to run the ball very well. And I think they do it in a really simple scheme, a lot of inside-outside zone. So I think what that shows is that he's a good teacher. Um, he, can, he teaches the philosophy well. It's a philosophy-based system. 
you know, it's not a gimmick-based system. It's not a, we do this faster than everybody else, or we have this one thing, you know, that, that this one element, you know, like we heard so much about the RPO. Football is simple. Everybody plays football the same way. The problem is, is that you can't coach your players up to do it as well as another team, or your players aren't as good. Um, and I think what you see with him is you see that players develop you see that they're able to do something really, really well based on their ability to teach the philosophy. And I think that's a good sign for this program. I think the term like running guys off is probably a little bit strong, but we see this almost every single time there is a coaching change, whether it's just unfamiliarity, you were already thinking about leaving, or it's just not a fit. There's, it's just not a good match between a certain player and a certain coach. Like I expect no matter what, there are going to be guys who are going to leave the program. I think that's just the cost of doing business when you hire a new coach. But what is that process like for a coach to come in and say, obviously you want to try and recruit guys, but also in the attempt to establish your culture, you set the sort of tone that you understand may make some guys uncomfortable and may make them choose to go elsewhere. So I think that generally speaking, it's tough because you want people that are going to buy into your program. I know with Coach Mangino, he just made it so incredibly hard that if you stuck around, it was obvious that you wanted to be here. You know, most guys left because of just how hard it was to be here. Um, I think the other element of it is a guy like Les Miles, who has the name and the recognition, so you stay around because you know what he's been able to do in his career. Um, the other part of it is, like, timing. You know, if you choose to leave this program, you're You'd have to be really good because what to get you, some will be will be having to use an allotment of scholarships for the next year. Um, I doubt many teams have scholarships available from this specific year. Um, so you probably have to be a really good prospect for a team, you know, in a major conference to take you on and take away a scholarship in the in the future. The other interesting part about the team is that they're so young. You know, these people are, you know, most of the core players are first, second, third-year players. Um, So they just don't – they're not as – you know, they're not as familiar with the process. They're not as seasoned in terms of understanding the way this is supposed to work. They've only had one experience. It's only been one or two years. So they don't have as much of a reference point as to where if you come into a program, there's a lot of upperclassmen. They've had four years of experience. They feel like their time's running out. There's there's a lot of other things that go into it. And I think some of those things aren't present just because of how young the roster is. So I think a combination of the youth on the team and just the, the overall timing, how short this window is, I don't expect a ton of departures. Now, these are kids. They can do whatever they want, and they should do whatever they want. Um, but I think that a lot of them are in a unique position because they play Kansas um, in terms of being able to be a starter and be an impact player early in their careers um, on a major conference team. You know, everybody in college football wants to pay, play pro, and they have those opportunities now. So the question is, would they be willing to give them up simply because of the personnel change? And they may. Um, I don't think you can really prevent it um, at all because uh, it's up to the kids. But ultimately, I think there are some advantages built into the timeline on this one. What about when it comes to coaches? Uh, how do you expect that to work with, uh, there's at least a, a very specific handful of coaches that I think a lot of people would look at and say, okay, they're valuable assets, they're guys you don't want to lose. What do you think that process is going to be like? Is that something that's already taken care of before a guy takes a job, or is that something that 
you sort of have to weed through once you get here? I think it's something you have to weed through once you get there because I don't think an AD is going to tell a, a head coach they just hired who, who and who they cannot cut or keep. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a process of what the coach wants to do. The other part of that, though, is it's almost similar to the uh, the same issue with the players is the timeline. You know, you're entering into the summer, which is the beginning of the next season. How many teams with desirable open positions um, even have openings, you know, for, you know, to take on another coach, um, you know, in a position coach role, especially with all the recruiting restrictions uh, due to COVID, that stuff's coming to an end. So I think a lot of the teams that are competitive and at the level that Kansas is want to have staffs in place. Um, so it's not something where you're going to see a lot of guys wanting to not coach, you know what I mean, wanting to move on. It's going to be a matter of, you know, who the coach is bringing with them and what spots that leaves around that. And, you know, that's that's just a whole nother thing to unwind, you know, especially for uh, not just Kansas but for Buffalo. So I think there's just a lot of moving parts when you have a coaching staff move this late. Talking to Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. What are you most interested to know? What are you most interested to find out about Lance Leipold? Um, I think the most interesting thing about him is that, you know, he was a position coach. So his his track in coaching looked very normal. You know, he played at Wisconsin Whitewater. You know, he joined his alma mater as a position coach. Got a GA spot at Wisconsin got a position coach job um, at the University of Nebraska, you know, after a short run at a D2 school where he did well. Gets on in Nebraska and as a position coach for three years and then goes backward, you know, goes D2 to be a coordinator again, then goes back to his alma mater D3 to be a head coach, you know, with the, you know, with a school that's coaching budget could not have been that big. He commits there and he, you know, becomes basically the greatest coach ever. So it just makes you wonder because usually people that are driven like him get to where he got with Nebraska and want to push forward and wants to push higher to try to get that head coaching position because you got your foot in the ground. You know, you got you, your foot in the door. You have an opportunity, you know, to network with those coaches and to use that experience to leverage a better job. And he actually did the opposite. And it makes you wonder what, what he's driven by because it seems like he's the guy driven by the challenge. Um, to go back to his alma mater and build a juggernaut and then to, you know, go to Buffalo, you know, a place that's really not that well known and, and, and do well. And on top of that, renegotiated contract last year where he's still the fifth highest played coach in the conference. So it makes you wonder what he's driven by. And I think he's driven by the talent. I think he's driven by, you know, proving that, that what he does works no matter where he is. So I'm excited to see that kind of stuff. And I'd be curious to find out what what the motivation was in terms of, you know, a guy ending a career, you know, beginning a career, you know, at a major conference team with the opportunity to be a head coach is a huge deal. It makes you wonder, you know, all the different paths people take to get there. I mean, you're an alum. You played for this program. You know what they've been through over the past 12 years. Does it at all feel like, I don't know if, if, if a shock is the right word, but I said earlier this week, when I knew it was down to Leipold and Monk, and I said, KU fans, you should feel blessed that these two guys are interested in the job because based off the track record, coaches who, who look like they're about ready to make that jump from the programs they came from to a, a Power 5, Power 6 program, they generally aren't interested in a program like Kansas, but those two guys were. Lance Leipold is that guy. I, I, th- I feel like KU fans should feel pretty lucky that this guy was not just interested in the job, but interested enough to take the job. 
I agree with that. I think there's a part of people that they always want to be edgy and they always want to take those chances. But it's not their reputation. It's not their job on the line when those chances don't work out. So they see something like Leipold and think, oh, this is a safe choice. The problem with that is is that this is anything but a safe choice for Leipold or Jeff Musk. They could have just waited and you know and found a more reliable job or a job that paid them more money, or they could have waited till there was more suitors, you know, and leveraged you know their their contract. And this they could have done all these things, and they chose not to because it's something that they like about this program. And to be honest with you, the names that I know personally that reached out about this coaching job, you'd be shocked. So it's a it's a job that's that's very interesting to people, and when you're able to put on a on a search for the job to get two of the best existing sitting head coaching clients um, candidates, that's perfect. Especially when you don't have any other competition, you know. So it's it's one of those things where it couldn't have worked out any better, um, even though the timing of everything that occurred was unfortunate. So I think this was, I mean, as close to a best case scenario as you can get. He is Brandon McAnderson. You can hear him here on Fridays. BMAC, exciting time for KU football. I appreciate you uh, hopping on the show to break it down with us, man. All right, man. Thanks for having me.